Well, I invite you to turn in your copies of God's holy and inspired word this morning back to Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We continue uh, to work through this letter. We are looking once again at the paragraph from uh, verse, uh, chapter 5, verses 15 uh, through 21. But when you find that, stick a finger there and turn with me back to Exodus 40. I'm going to read a small, uh, the, the last paragraph of Exodus uh, in order to, to help us um, get a bigger picture of this, this call that we have in the text today to be filled with the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit. Exodus 40, beginning in verse 33. And Moses erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court. So Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. The cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. In Leviticus 1, the Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. And now if you would over to our text this morning in Ephesians 5. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need help this morning. You are the living God who has provided us these living words. The temptation for us is to think that these are normal words, describing something from the past. rather than approaching them as your present speaking to us, that our hearts may once again be rightly reoriented to your power and to your presence in us and through us as your people. And so help us to listen and help us to open ourselves up more and more and more 
to your word, to your truth, sinking deeper and deeper into our hearts that the roots may grow deep and that the structure grow tall and strong. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Paul here in this section of Ephesians has been helping us understand what is it what does it look like to live out your faith as the people of Jesus Christ in the midst of a culture and a society that hates you? That is the circumstance that the Ephesian church came into existence under. That through the ministry of of word, through the ministry of deed that was taking place in, in the city of Ephesus, people had been saved. People had been called out of darkness and into light. That people, whether they were coming from a Jewish background or whether they were coming from a Gentile background, they had been called out of darkness. They had been gathered together. And in Jesus Christ, as Paul has been saying, the extravagant grace of God had been given freely as a gift to be received by faith. Every spiritual blessing of the heavenly places has been granted in Christ. That means you don't lack anything. You are no longer a slave to to sin and to death, but you have been made alive, raised up, and seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And that this is not just something for us as individuals, but that God in Christ has been calling people out of Jewish backgrounds and Gentile backgrounds and pulling them together into the oneness of Christ and through Christ's oneness into the oneness of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Paul tells us that we in Christ are the temple that God is building on the foundation of his son and the teaching of the apostles. And now for us as God's people who are this temple presence of the triune God, God has been giving these instructions, so here's how you live as my temple presence. Here is how you pursue humility and meekness and unity. Here's how you learn. Here's how you grow. Here's how you resist the influences of this culture that is still stuck in darkness. Here is how you embrace Jesus Christ and walk in the sacrificial love of Christ. Here is how you flesh out your relationship with Christ as you walk in the light of Christ's power and presence in you through the Holy Spirit. Here is how you walk in wisdom as those who are putting off the foolishness of darkness and embracing and opening yourself up more and more to the truth of God in Jesus Christ. And here is how you walk in the Spirit. Walking in love, walking in light, walking in wisdom, walking in the Spirit. 
Now, this is not just some metaphor that the Apostle Paul has come up with. He's taking the Old Testament and helping us understand where we fit into this overall program of God in Jesus Christ. And what Paul is doing is helping us understand that these types and shadows of the Old Testament, of temple, God's temple presence, living in the midst of his people as he leads them and guides them as they walk and journey through the desert wilderness as they are approaching the promised land of God. That as they are sojourners and pilgrims, God is with them. His love is made sure through the sacrificial system so that they don't have to be afraid of him, but instead they can humbly live with him in the confidence that he will be true to his covenant promises. That he has provided the shedding of blood through the sacrificial system so that he is not a threat to his people. That as they walk with him, as they follow him, from this, from, from, from the present situation they're in to the fulfillment of the promise of this new land, we are told that they walk with the Lord and that the Lord, as his presence is made known in this tabernacle, the Lord fills the tabernacle with his presence. That glory cloud that, that by day would lead the people on their journey, that pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night, where God's presence was made known as, as he stood between his people and their enemies, as he led them safely through the journey, through the desert, this, this, this presence of God in this glory cloud that had enveloped Mount Sinai, that this presence of God then filled the tabernacle. And as that, that glory cloud would move the people of God would move with him. You see what's happening? And that tabernacle that represented the power and presence of God living with his people was the place where God's voice would be spoken so that the people of God, through the mediation of Moses, would know what God's will is. He would speak to Moses, and Moses would, would, would repeat this to God's people so that the tabernacle, this tent that was made up of different layers of animal skins, that as the glory of the present God took up resident, residence under the skin of animals and provided the voice of instruction to God's people, the people of God could travel with him through the dangers, through the struggles of the wilderness, and so that they could safely arrive, arrive in the promised land. Jesus in John chapter 1 says, I am the God who has taken on flesh and is tabernacling with my people. 
that tabernacle where the glory of God's presence became contained under animal skins in a tent was pointing us to where God's presence would take up residence in human skin and where God would walk among us as the one who took on flesh. And as such, he is the word of God that has come from the heavenly tabernacle that the people of God may know his will. Do you see what's happening? Jesus is the heavenly tabernacle who has come to earth. And Jesus Christ is taking you and me and he is, he is making us and building us on top of himself into this greater growing tabernacling presence. And just as God's presence filled the tabernacle, just as later when the temple would be built and at the first worship service at the temple, the spirit came and filled the temple, we are being shown here that we, as the temple presence of God, are to walk in this world as those filled with the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the spirit is one of, those, one of those things that can get some people really excited. Ooh, we're going to talk about being filled with the Spirit. And maybe you thought I might say some funny words. You might, maybe you thought maybe he's going to do a little dance. Maybe he'll fall over on the floor and start wiggling and writhing. Maybe he'll start laughing uncontrollably. All right, these are all different manifestations that have been claimed throughout the years of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Where, they, where the, the idea is that you lose control of yourself. But notice what the Apostle Paul tells us here as he is calling us to be filled with the Spirit. He sets it in direct contrast to that very idea. Do not, he says, be drunk on wine. Now, the issue here is not the wine. The issue is how the wine is being utilized. Now, for you and me, because we are uh, conservative, evangelical, reformed, Presbyterians, right? We see the word wine, and what do we automatically start thinking about? Oh, well, should we drink wine? Should we not drink wine? Right? But for the Ephesian believers who had lived in Ephesus, that's not what would be the first thing that would come to their minds. What would come to their minds is the worship of Dionysus. Dionysus was the god, uh, was one of the gods that the, the city in Ephesus worshipped. So you had Artemis, which was like their kind of chief uh, God that they were dedicated to, but they also had lots of other gods, and Dionysus was one of them, and Dionysus was the god of wine. And whether it was the worship of Artemis or if it was the worship of Dionysus, the way that it took place was that you were to drink lots and lots and lots of wine till you got to the point that you were drunk because only then would you be in the right kind of place to open yourself up to what the gods might reveal to you 
And this, these times of worship were marked and characterized by the losing, losing control where their body often would, would be shown to be wiggling and falling onto the floor and, and that there would be this, this, this otherworldly experience where you lost all control of yourself. Is that, is that ringing any bells? The Apostle Paul says, that as the people of God who are freed from that darkness in order to be the love and light and wisdom of God in this world as his temple presence, don't participate with them in that way of religion. Don't be drunk on wine, which leads, he says, now the text says debauchery, right? That's one of those fun words that if we really, if you, I mean, it's one of those words that kind of means what it sounds like, right? Debauchery. Doesn't sound like, oh, I'm going to go encourage someone to be debaucherous, right? Debauchery. It, it, it kind of means what it sounds, but basically what it means is it just means reckless living. It, it, it basically means that if you are getting drunk on wine, then you are not able to walk stably with sure-footedness, as we talked about in terms of wisdom last week. Instead, you stumble. You, you lose your balance. You, you're not in control. And, and the result is things get reckless. If you are someone who is engaging in that worship, you, you are opening yourself up to all kinds of dangers and problems, and that stuff did happen in those feasts, where often the Roman officials even had to say, you guys are going too far because of everything that would happen as a result of, of the losing of control that would take place. But also, in terms of just life, right, if you are engaging in a steady habit of drunkenness, you don't tend to make decisions very well. You don't tend to manage your resources very well. You don't tend to manage your time, your treasures, or your talents very well. And the unique calling that you and I have, beloved, is, is that God has blessed us in Christ in these evil days to redeem the time by engaging as his kingdom people here on earth. That as we are sojourning from this present evil age into the age to come, we do so. Not as those who hide from culture, as we talked about last week. Not as those who form gospel ghettos and just try to escape. Not as those who try to take over and through force and threat and intimidation think that we're going to, to bear witness to the kingdom of God. But as we embody our calling as the templing presence of God. As we do this, as we are waiting for Christ, and as we are moving through this life, we bear witness to all these beautiful, wonderful things in Jesus Christ. So that we are walking in sacrificial love. That we are walking in the presence and power of the light of God. That we are walking in his wisdom and putting off foolishness. 
And as we cultivate this through the empowerment of being filled by the Holy Spirit. Now, being filled here by the Holy Spirit, uh, for the grammar nerds, this is in the passive voice. Which means that in the passive voice, this is where the action of the verb is done to the subject of the sentence. That was a free grammar lesson for all of y'all. Right? And everyone followed that very well, right? In the active voice, the subject of the sentence is performing the action. In in the passive voice, the subject of the sentence is receiving the action. But what's interesting here is the Apostle Paul uses in the Greek the present tense, which means the emphasis is that there is to be this ongoing pattern where the people of God are being filled by the Holy Spirit. That we are to be cultivating an ongoing pattern in which we are opening ourselves up to God in his presence and in his power, in his truth, to speak into our lives and and for us to open ourselves up more and more to him, taking over more and more of our lives. Where we are consciously making decisions to trust him. Because for you and me, I don't, well, I don't, I don't want to speak for everybody. I'm going to speak for me. I can tell you this. I have never been tempted, at least, at least not lately, to engage in the worship of Dionysus. And to therefore find some festival where I could get drunk and open myself up to, to Dionysus. I can tell you this. I have never engaged in the worship of Artemis. But you know what I do? I often live as if God is not present to me. Let me put it another way. The darkness of our culture, the cultural context that you and I live in, is not that there are these foreign gods that are calling for our devotion that we give by engaging in immorality. What we have is a culture that tells us that there is nothing beyond what you can see, hear, touch, taste, and smell. Our culture tempts us to live as if there is nothing beyond us. That the world is just some cold, closed system of cause and effect. And so what happens for you and for me, like the Apostle Peter, we can be confronted with the supernatural wisdom of God, which means that his son had to come, has to die, and has to be raised again for God to accomplish his purposes. And you and I can respond just like the Apostle Peter. Mm, Nah. That's weird. That doesn't sound right. You and I get tempted towards living the Christian life from a naturalistic perspective every day. You and I get tempted to live the Christian life from a rationalist perspective every day. I can take what, what certain truths from the Bible, I can plug them into some kind of, 
of, of, of, of equation, and I can get the right answer. I, never have, I don't have to pray about it. I don't have to trust anyone about it. I can just fill in the variables, and I, ta-da, I get the answer that I need in order to live according to God's will today. But God has shown us in the tabernacle and in his son that the only way to learn his will is to engage with his presence. God has come near to us in his son, Jesus Christ, whose name is what? Emmanuel, which means God with us. And the lives that you and I are called to live are supernatural lives. Where we recognize that, yes, what we see before us, what we can see, touch, hear, smell, taste, that these things, they are real, they are there, but they are not ultimate. They are not determining. That there is something beyond this world that is alive to our senses. And because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and because you and I have been united to Christ by faith, you and I have been made alive to that world. We are alive to the unseen. We are alive to the supernatural. We are alive to the God who has come near and is still present with us and in us and through us because he has filled us just like his tabernacle, just like his son. He has filled us with his Holy Spirit. And so what you and I are called to do is to cultivate the filling of the Spirit. This is not talking about salvation. This is not talking about that, you know, that, that, that one time where, where God you know, gives you his spirit and now you're alive. He's not saying that you lose that and you got to get it back. What he's talking about is your and my opening ourselves up more and more to the presence of God in our lives through the Holy Spirit. Cultivating a God consciousness. Living as, as uh, R.C. Sproul has said, living quorum Deo, living before the face of God. Doing what the Apostle Paul talks about, learning to live your daily life in unceasing prayer. Because you are so aware and you are so actively engaging in the God who is present in you and with you. That everything that you're engaging in, you're engaging in, in the spirit of prayer. Actively entrusting yourself. Actively opening yourself up more. Letting God's presence through, through his truth, through, through his sacrament, to get deeper into you and to start touching those areas that you don't want him to touch. Some of us get real scared because we have experienced awful things. Some of us get real scared because we have perpetrated awful things. And we're scared to open ourselves up and let the healing presence of the gospel of Jesus Christ touch that. And to start healing it. And to start reforming it. 
so that even more of us is being opened up through our time, our treasures, and our talents to give ourselves in loving service to God and to our neighbor. And so very quickly, what does he tell us about how to cultivate this filling of the Spirit? Notice he says four things. One, that we learn to communicate with one another according to hymn, or to psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Notice not singing to one another, not yet, but speaking to one another. Where, where the truth, where the beautiful, where the good content of, of what God has revealed in and through Jesus Christ, where that has been encapsulated in songs, whether it is the psalms written of old or whether it is the ongoing work of songs being written to, in, to encase and in to, to embody the, the, the truth of who God is, the goodness, the beauty of who he is. And learning to let that so filter through us that when you and I are engaging one another, when we are speaking to one another, when we are relating to one another, the truth, the goodness, and the beauty of those songs become the content of our interactions with one another. Because what is the temptation? to let the content of our culture become the basis of our communication with one another. Where instead of, of, of focusing on our union with Christ together and being able to speak to one another in terms of that shared calling in life in Christ, we will argue and, bite and backbite over politics, over whether or not the Georgia Bulldogs deserve the national championship. They didn't. No, I'm just joking. We can take all these little earthly things and we use them to go at one another. When, beloved, you and I have been made alive, raised up and seated with Christ in the heavenlies. And you know what the heavenlies are filled with? The singing of the triune God and his angels and his departed saints. That's what exists in the heavenly places. The Lord sings. Jesus is described leading the singing. And the angels and departed saints responding to their song, to the song of the, of the Trinity with the song of God's people. What you and I are going to do for eternity is speak to one another and address one another through the truth, goodness, and beauty that is encapsulated in the singing of God and his people throughout all eternity. Start that now. He says that we are to be singing to the Lord with, with melody in our heart. Our singing as a church actually should be beautiful. That faithful singing and worship is not solely based upon the content of what we are singing. 
It certainly is based on the content of what we are singing, but that content is to help facilitate its own meaning as God's beauty is being conveyed through the singing of his truth, his goodness, and his beauty. That there is to be a melody within our hearts, that there is to be a shared melody where you and I are expressing our oneness in Christ as we are participating in the oneness of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Not like Melkor. Ah, I was looking for your response. Not like Melkor introducing notes of dissonance. That's, a, that's for the Tolkien nerds. In the Silmarillion, as, as Tolkien is describing the way Middle-earth came into existence, he describes it, that creation was taking place through song and through singing. And that there was this evil figure that continued to try to mess up what was happening in creation by introducing notes of dissonance into the singing. But because of the power of God, he was able to take those notes of dissonance and turn them into the very movements as the singing continued to take place. Beloved, Satan and his dark forces have been trying to introduce dissonance into the kingdom program of God over and over and over again, thinking that they had finally turned the music when Jesus was nailed to the cross. And yet it was the nailing of the cross that became the crescendo of the glory of God's singing as the music of salvation reached its, its, its intended goal and purpose in Jesus Christ. Beloved, you and I, as we interact with one another and as we interact with God, we are, we are cultivating through the power of the Spirit to learn to speak and to sing as those who are singing in the melody of God himself and rejecting the dissonant notes of the world, the flesh, and the devil. He says that we are also to be a people marked by gratitude in everything. For the Ephesians at this time, that means the coming persecution. Not just that they are living their best lives now in Jesus. Are we a people marked by gratitude? Or are we a people marked by complaining? Are we marked by thanksgiving because of all that we have received from God and Jesus Christ? Or are we characterized by what we think we're lacking? And just to remind you, in Christ you have received what? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Are there any left that God is holding back? Is he stingy? You've received it all. It's up for you to cultivate what you have, to learn to enjoy it, to learn to define yourself by the fullness, rather, in the fullness that is present to you in the supernatural world that exists beyond your senses, rather than to, for you to define yourself by what you sense and then live as a complainer, always looking for the next best thing, always hoping for something more and not able to rest in what God has given in Christ. 
And lastly, our very favorite one, we cultivate being filled with the Spirit in the way that we speak, the way that we sing, the way that we're grateful, and the way that we submit to one another. By the way, the Romans, the Greco-Roman culture hated this idea. The Greco-Roman culture was built on the power of the individual, the power to, to utilize the law in order to be able to make the decisions that he, that he wanted to make and for him to, to not have anything that would get in the way of him getting what he wanted, that the law was there to serve him to help him get what he wanted, that the government was there to make sure that they didn't get in the way so that he could have what he wanted and to be able to use people, whether it was his wife, whether it was his children, whether it was his slaves, for him to use those things as resources for him to get more. They hated, they loathed, they found silly and ridiculous the idea of someone voluntarily taking their power and using it for someone else instead of using it for themselves. But what Paul tells us here is what is characteristic of those who are walking in the Spirit is is a cultivation of voluntarily considering others better than themselves. I believe you heard a sermon about that back on June 5th when I was in Charleston. If you're walking in spirit, beloved, what he says will be characteristic of you. And as you want to grow in filling and being filled more and more in the Holy Spirit, what he says is voluntarily consider others to be more important than yourselves just as Jesus did and took on flesh and was born as a servant and who served to the point of death. Speaking, singing, giving thanks and voluntarily considering others better than yourself. That is how we walk in the Spirit. And so, beloved, as we continue to to pray and to look for God, as as we will pray and ask the Lord to do something in us and to ask the Lord to do something through us, beloved, these, these are the things that we are to be cultivating with one another so that we are opening ourselves up to the filling of the Holy Spirit in deeper and in wider ways so that we are in a position to be used by him for his kingdom rather than pulling our resources to do something for our own. Walk in the sacrificial love of God in Christ. Walk in the power and presence of the light of God in this world. Walk in the wisdom of God and not the foolishness of this dying generation. And be filled as you walk in the Holy Spirit as we are the temple presence of God on earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, fill us with the realities of the supernatural realm that is so difficult, that is so hard. 
uh, for us to often grasp, that we so often fail to really grab hold of. Fill us, Lord, with, with that which is supernatural, which will make us and form us more and more into the image of your Son, that we may walk in his love, in his light, in his wisdom, and in his spirit. And so use, Heavenly Father, your word, but also use your sacraments moments from now as you make the supernatural world present to us and present to our senses as we hold the broken bread and as we lift the cup of salvation. It is in Jesus' name that we pray and that we ask these things. Amen.